God, you make all things new. And this morning, as we dive into your word, I pray that we will see you and experience you and experience your, your love and grace and restoration through our time together this morning. So God, give us ears to hear. Help us to, to hear your word. Help us to listen and obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I love a good fire. Whether it is a fire in the fireplace on a cool evening, it doesn't have to be very cool because I really want a fire in the fireplace, <laughs> or whether it is a campfire outdoors or the fire pit in the backyard, I love sitting around a fire. It's one of the most peaceful times for me as I, I sit and stare into the flames pondering life. A campfire is a great place for conversation. As you sit around the campfire, I don't know if it's that, that we're all focused and mesmerized by the flames, so our defenses go down and we say things that we would never say in the light of a room, uh, but when you're around a campfire, you talk about things you would never talk about before. And there are great conversations to be had around a campfire. I have great memories of, of times with friends around the campfire talking about life and future and marriage and having kids and all the things that you don't really talk about at other times. Fire is this strange thing. It's powerful. It is controlled. It is uncontrolled. Frederick Buchner calls it, describes it this way. He says, fire has no shape or substance. You can't taste it or smell it or hear it. You can't touch it except at great risk. You can't weigh it or measure it or examine it with instruments. You can never grasp it in its fullness because it never stands still. Yet there is no mistaking its extraordinary power. The power of fire to devastate and consume utterly. The power of fire to purify by leaving nothing in its wake but a scattering of ash that the wind blows away like mist. A pillar of fire was what led the children of Israel through the wilderness, and it was from a burning bush that God first spoke to Moses. There were tongues of fire leaping from the disciples on the day of Pentecost. In John's apocalypse, it is a lake of fire that the damned are cast into, and faithful and true himself, he says, has eyes of fire as he set, sits astride his white horse. In the pages of Scripture, fire is holiness. And so today we're finishing up our series on the Gospel of John. We have experienced God through Jesus. Seeing Jesus allows us to see God. Experiencing Jesus allows us to experience God. And we have seen Jesus as the way, as the truth, as the life. And so this so last Sunday we celebrated the resurrection. We looked at John chapter 20 and and John ends his gospel in John chapter 20 this way. He says, "Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John presents this witness. He presents this evidence so that you may believe. And so the question is, do you believe? And so why are we talking about fire? Hold on to that for just a moment. If you will notice, after turning the page on chapter 20, there's still another chapter of John. We get to John chapter 21. It's an addendum of sorts, an epilogue, a a story after the conclusion that gives us this other glimpse of what is going on here, of what Jesus is up to. And so as I sat in front of a fire at the cabin in December preparing for this series, I sat down and read through all of John, and I got to chapter 20, and I got to the last verse of chapter 20, and I set my Bible down and was just in awe. And I knew this chapter was the chapter that I was looking forward to preaching more than any of the others of this series. And so here we are today with this incredible story of Jesus and Peter. Let's read through this chapter together, starting in verse 1 of chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, and Nathaniel the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were all together. I'm going out to fish, Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he had been raised from the dead. So we have here this fishing scene, this early morning. And on the surface, it doesn't look like there's a lot going on. It's simply a breakfast time. Well, actually, below the surface, there's not really a lot going on either because they're not catching any fish. Sorry. 
But what is going on in this story? They're out fishing. They've gone back to their normal way of life. This is what they started with. And so they go back to their normal way of life. Peter says, I don't know what to do now. I'm just going to go fish. But what stands out to you? In light of all that we've gone through in the Gospel of John, what really sticks out to you? When are they fishing? Nighttime. Now, I don't know a lot about fishing. I hate fishing. Nighttime might be the best time to go fishing. But have you seen night throughout the Gospel of John? We see this night and day continually through John. When do they see Jesus? Early in the morning. Do they immediately recognize Jesus? No, they don't even recognize him. So we have the themes of light and dark, day and night, knowing and not knowing, recognizing and not recognizing. These have all popped up throughout John, and they're all put into this story right here. But there's something else that really stands out. What stands out to you in this story, considering the title of the sermon and the video we just watched? There's this fire. Jesus has built a fire on the beach and is cooking them breakfast. Jesus is once again serving as host. Now what's interesting here is, is John is using a Greek word for fire that's translated something like charcoal fire. And this word is only used twice in all of John. This is the second time it's used. The first time we see a charcoal fire is in chapter 18, when the servants are warming themselves around a charcoal fire, and Peter joins them at this charcoal fire and denies Jesus three times. And so John is talking about a charcoal fire where Peter is denying Jesus three times. And now, once again, we have this charcoal fire that Peter comes up sopping wet out of the water in the early morning light and comes and warms himself by this fire that Jesus has made for him. And this is the scene for this conversation this conversation that is the most important conversation of Peter's life. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and, and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress or bind you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. 
This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And so Peter finds himself by a fire with three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? A fire can be a great source of warmth. A fire can bring light into darkness. But a fire can also purify and refine. Think about the power of fire. Think about the process of making glass. If you've ever seen someone blowing glass, it takes great heat to get that glass to form in a certain way. It's, it's something that has been done for 5,000 years in the manufacturing of glass. It's a good metaphor for people. The, the glass-making process, whatever its final design, whatever its shape, it all involves fire. Heat is used to form that object. And so for each of us, heat is used in some way to form us. Or think about pottery. It's mushy and wet, and it's formed into a shape, and it's not until the heat of fire that it becomes something usable. And so here we have Peter warming himself by a fire with Jesus. And Jesus uses this opportunity to have a conversation with him. Does Peter remember his horrible failings as he sits there with Jesus? Does, does he, he look at the fire because he can't even make eye contact with Jesus? He just stares into the flame knowing that three times he denied Jesus. And here he is with Jesus again. Does the fire bring back any memory for him? Does he think about how he failed miserably as a follower of Jesus? How he completely turned his back on Jesus and rejected Jesus? He hid in the shadows while Jesus was being interrogated, and instead of speaking his words of love then, he backed up and spoke words of rejection. And so here he sits at this fire again. What is going on in Peter's mind in this conversation? Richard Hayes describes the scene this way, but this healing confession does not come without pain. Confronting the risen Jesus is not easy, especially for those who have betrayed him. Standing in the flickering light of the charcoal fire, Peter must first remember his failure and own it. And so Peter is looking at this fire, and he has to have a memory of his rejection of Jesus. Does he remember his past? Does he remember his downfall? Because memory is required for restoration. Peter must remember his past. He must own up to his past so that he can take the first steps of healing and restoration. And so the very first question Jesus asks is, Peter, do you love me? You have failed miserably. I need to know, do you love me? You have rejected me and stepped away from me. I need to know, do you love me? Because if we can't answer that question in the affirmative, we can't get to a place of restoration. And so when you find yourself 
in a moment of failure, when you find yourself in a moment of brokenness, the first question is, do you really love Jesus? He wants to know the answer. Do you love me? T.S. Eliot describes it this way. He says, and last, the rending pain of reenact, reenactment of all that you have done and been, the shame of motives late revealed, and the awareness of things ill done and done to others' harm, which once you took for exercise of virtue, from wrong to wrong the exasperated spirit proceeds, unless restored by the refining fire. That we have these things in our past, we have these mistakes that we've made. We've had the missteps. We've had the betrayals. And in the midst of that, will we own up to that and bring that to Jesus and answer the question, do you love me? And so in the light of the fire, the mistakes have, have been made and the betrayals of Jesus have been made. We see that in the fire and Peter looks into the fire and has to make a decision. But this fire is also doing something else. This fire is reminding Peter of something. But this fire is also providing breakfast. Jesus is taking fish, and he's taking bread, and it reminds us of the feeding of the 5,000. It reminds us of that other scene on the seashore where, where Jesus gathers the people, and he takes a few loaves of bread and a few fish and somehow miraculously provides for all of those needs. And so as Jesus offers breakfast, he is also offering this sense of restoration. He's offering this new relationship. It reminds us that Jesus will provide for us beyond anything that we can ever imagine. That yes, he invites us to the fire, and then he gives us something. He invites us into a relationship. He invites us into restoration. Will you remember your past, turn from your past, and join him in this new relationship? And so Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And when Peter answers yes, then he's brought into a restored relationship with Jesus. And that relationship comes with a catch. That relationship comes with a renewed purpose, a new mission, a new direction in life. Because he says, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you're really going to turn and join with me in this restorative relationship, then you now have something new to do. You need to be feeding others. Richard Hayes again says, if, you love, if, if our love for Jesus in this new resurrection relationship is real, it will spill out in a superabundance of gracious action for others. Read that again. If our love for Jesus in this new resurrection relationship is real, it will spill out in a superabundance of gracious action for others. And so we get to this final scene of John, where Peter who rejected and betrayed Jesus in chapter 18, 
and remember in chapter 20, did not confess belief in the resurrection of Jesus. He saw the empty tomb, but John didn't say anything about what Peter's reaction was. And now we get to this scene where Jesus says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you really love me? Yes, Lord, I really love you. Then feed my sheep. Follow me. Follow me even to the point of death. And Peter follows Jesus. And as we look at the story of Peter, which we'll jump into more next week, we look at Peter and who he is and what he's become, and we see this complete transformation. And so starting next week, we're going to jump into a, a, a few weeks looking at 1 Peter. We're going to look at the guy who wrote 1 Peter after experiencing this with Jesus. This gives us the context for 1 Peter. And so we're going to look deeper at Peter and who he is and the, the incredible transformation that he experienced and the call that he gives each of us to live lives of holiness. A life that is refined by fire. A life that is completely transformed because of the restored relationship that we have with God. And so we're going to spend some time in prayer this morning. Through the video, through the time as we look at this, I want you to, to, to reflect now on what is it in your life that is broken? What is it that needs to be restored? What is it that those fires need to refine and, and strengthen as Jesus looks at us and says, do you love me? As he stands here before you this morning and says, do you love me? How do you answer that question? Is it a lawyer's answer that has all these loopholes in it? Sorry, lawyers. It's always awkward to say something like that with you guys in the room. <laughs> Can you answer Jesus' question of I love you with so many different qualifiers that when you get to the end of it, it really hasn't confessed any love at all? I love you, but I really like this, and I really like that, and this is really important to me, and my priority is over here, and I enjoy that, and I want to do that, and I really like this thing over here, but yeah, I love you. Or will you emphatically say, yes, I love you? And if you say yes to that question, then will you be obedient to his call on your life to feed his sheep, to care for his flock, to feed others? So there's lots of points where we can break down in that, right? Right? And so each of us find ourselves in different places in our journey. As we stare into that fire, I wanted so badly to figure out how to have a fire as an object lesson in here, um, but couldn't figure that one out. As you stare into the flames of that fire, 
What do you see? What are the things that need to be consumed up in your life because they're distracting you from really loving God, really saying yes to do you love me? What are the distractions? What are the sins? What is the brokenness in your life that you really need to throw into that fire, let the fire consume it, so that you can walk out in restoration? It can be a lot of different things. It can be something little and simple. It could be too much Facebook. All the way to some major addiction and sin that is just engulfed your life. And so I want you to close your eyes and look Jesus in the face over that morning fire and he says, do you love me? If you have something that is in the way of you fully answering yes to that question, I really want to ask you to stand so that we can pray with you. And so if you want us to pray for restoration in your life, it could be brokenness because of illness, it can be brokenness because of relationships, it can be brokenness because of sin, whatever is going on in your life, I want to ask you to stand right now just where you're at. Jesus sees you. And in his question of do you love me also comes a gift of breakfast that he hands this over to you and provides for you and gives to you. And he will give to you and provide to you in ways that you cannot even imagine. I do not believe any of us can be as low as Peter, who confronted face to face with a confession of, do you know this man? He said no. And that's the example that we have. And we see Jesus doing incredible things and says, do you love me? And we say, yes, Lord, we love you. So I'd like for all of us to stand now. I want you to gather around people that you saw standing. I think it's says a lot that that number outnumbers the, the number of people that are sitting. And so go ahead and move around right now and find somebody to stand with, and find somebody to pray with. For those of you that, that have something very specific, I want to invite um, a couple of the shepherds to come down front. If you have something very specific that you really want somebody to pray for, I want you to make sure you go ask for that. And I want you to come forward and ask for that specific prayer. But find people around you to pray with. Uh, gather around others. Um, if you see others that were standing that uh, don't have anybody praying with them, I want you to seek them out and go find them. Um, let me pray over us right now. Uh, place your hands on them. And let's pray for, for each person now. God, we thank you so much. I, I just thank you for the courage that it takes to even stand up in a room like this to say, yes, I need something. <laughs> something in my life is broken. It may be little, it may be big, we don't know. 
But right now it's distracting me from my love of Jesus. And so God, right now we pray that you bring restoration into each of these lives, that you bring life into each of these lives. God, you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, and, and God, we need your restoration now. As we look into that fire, God, consume the things in our lives that are distracting us from you. Consume the things in our lives that are hurting us, that are distracting us, that are, are breaking us down. God, for, for those who are in need of physical healing right now, we pray for physical healing, that you will work in these bodies, that you will work in them and bring restoration of the body and healing of the body. God, for ones that are, are standing because uh, there is sin in their life, God, we pray for a full repentance of that sin, and we pray that there will be a restoration of that person. That, that as, as you consume up those sins for them, that they will become, become new and fresh and that they will see their purpose in you. God, for those who are experiencing brokenness in their relationships and hurt in their relationships, God, we pray that you will, will move in those and we pray for reconciliation and we pray for peace and we, we pray for, for restoration in there. And where, where things are broken, God, we pray for comfort. Where there are kids involved, God, we pray for protection. We pray for renewal and strength. And so God, as we find ourselves looking into this fire, I pray that you will restore us and encourage us, strengthen us. God, Peter is the rock. You named him that before he screwed up. And so, God, we stand together. We stand together knowing that you move in our lives in ways that we cannot even imagine. And so, God, continue to heal us, continue to restore us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.